The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3. Go ahead and... uh, Hit that subscribe button, subscribe to the channel. You'll find out anytime we go live. And of course, if you're watching right now, please smash that like button. We help you in advance. It helps get the word out about the Cover 3 podcast on YouTube. A lot to get to today. Grabbed a couple questions from the big old bag of mail. We have an interesting new set of revelations inside the world of name, image, and likeness uh, and NIL collectives. Plus, some some big programs are getting started with spring practice this week. Might take a look at what's going on there. But first, as we've been telling you, because the clock is ticking down right now for you to be able to get in the Cover 3 Bracket Challenge. We will be giving away gifts the winner will be getting a $100 gift card to Paramount Plus and who knows, maybe even a, a, a shout out on the show, maybe even a spot on the show. TBD depends on you know your own hopes, dreams, desires, and, and how many more correct games you have uh, than us. So here's what you can do to compete against Tom Fernelli, to compete against Danny Cannell, to compete against Chip Patterson, Bud Elliott. Head on over to cbsports.com slash cover three brackets. Again, that is cbsports.com slash cover three brackets. The winner, of course, getting that $100 gift card to Paramount Plus, where you will be able to watch all the NCAA tournament games, tons of soccer from Champions League to CONCACAF, golf majors in the spring, and NFL football in the fall. We're also so excited for the debut of Halo, which is streaming March 24th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com slash Halo to try it for free. But back to those brackets. Who wants to just enter one pool? So you're going to enter in the Cover 3 Bracket Challenge at CBSSports.com slash Cover 3 Brackets. But you can also create a group to compete against your friends and family and win a chance for a trip at the 2023 Final Four. It's absolutely free to enter. And if you need help filling out your bracket, CBS Sports HQ has got you covered with nonstop coverage of every game from every region in the NCAA tournament. Danny, Tom, have you filled your bracket out yet? I have. I have, but it's not in Sharpie yet. 
Okay. Subject to change. I did. I I do like three drafts, so I'll go through once, which I do quickly. First initial impressions, then I go back, revisit, and I'll lock it in. So it's not locked in yet. What I'm wondering is, did you guys get the uh, Greg Sankey statement or the email or the directive with the talking points about Tennessee being underseeded in Texas A&M being the biggest snub of all time? Because, Danny, you've talked about it for years, how the best thing about the SEC has always been the conference's ability to stay on message. Yep. We're seeing that in basketball now, where it was like shortly after the brackets came out yesterday, every single SEC beat reporter was talking about how Tennessee was underseeded and Texas A&M was robbed. It's amazing. It's really similar. Like, I, and it's hard to make a joke about Russia, right? But it's like Pravda. It's like state-run propaganda <laughs> that comes out and it just promotes the conference and it's all lockstep and the talking points are there and then they're parroted by everybody that covers the conference. It is remarkable. And mm-hmm. you know what? If I was in another conference, I'd be like, why isn't my team doing that for me? You know, if I was Oklahoma, I'd be like, why aren't they saying the same thing for us? Where are our talking points? Instead, all you hear are those teams dominating the majority of the narrative. It's crazy. I will say, I agree. Tennessee is underseated. Yeah. But the Texas A&M thing, like, I get it because I, I they like lost Buzz. 10 in a row. Yeah, I like Buzz Williams teams and I would like to see them in the tournament because they're fun to watch. But like, they're also four and 15 against quad one and quad two teams. And they keep, you know, conveniently leaving that part out of the discussion. <laughs> but they made it to the SEC championship game, Tom. Look yeah. how hot they are. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, and truth be told, if last 10 game performance was part of the criteria, which it was at one point, then maybe Texas A&M has a better argument, but it has been removed from consideration. There's also the like, well, Greg, I, I should have replied all. Man, it got stuck in drafts. I was I was going to respond and I was going to say, well, Greg, what, why don't you move that championship game off from Sunday afternoon and then the committee won't just go ahead and slot the bracket because they are busy and I think that Tennessee was locked into the three uh, before Sunday's championship game began. So this idea that you were going to get some bump from winning the SEC conference tournament title didn't end up having as much of a, a factor just because of absolute logistics of the bracketing process. Yep. Oh, well, more huge I, SEC news. What's that? The Atlanta Braves and Oakland Athletics have just agreed on a trade that will have Matt Olson going to the Braves, which means Freddie Freeman is gone. This is the biggest wow. news in the SEC of the week. Wow. Mm. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, Barrett Salee, he's going to look yeah. fine. The Braves fans are going to melt him down on the timeline already. <laughs> I, uh, I, The first place where I filled out my bracket was in the cover three bracket challenge. I had it. Jay Darren Darst needed a, an expert bracket within 30 minutes of the bracket reveal, and your boy stepped up and, and really – Really feels confident about those picks that he made in 30 minutes. <laughs> so if you want to see the the quick take, and if you want to apply it moving forward, there's an option to autofill an expert bracket and just know that that Chip Patterson bracket, it was it, it was run through the Chipolytics, and these were the answers that we got after 30 minutes. Yeah, spoiler alert, I ran the Chipolytics on my bracket as well, and the Illini are winning the whole thing. That's right. Uh, all right. So again, co- cbsports.com slash cover three brackets. Uh, that is cbsports.com slash cover three brackets. So you can compete against us. So uh, a couple days ago, a story ran in The Athletic, uh, penned by Stuart Mandel, uh, but reported on, I think, by a, by a team of athletic writers. Headline being, five-star recruit in the class of 2023 signs an agreement with a collective that could pay him more than $8 million 
dollars. You know, as we've talked about these NIL collectives and we've talked about, uh, you know, what the going rate would be, the way that these things are getting organized. Um, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, go and check out the story for yourself. We're not going to read it here. Uh, I don't want to undercut their business. But the the big takeaways here is the, the way that it's being structured. Um, and we do have a guess of who it might be, but to, to get things started, um, the way that it is set up, according to The Athletic, is that he will be paid, this five-star prospect will be paid $350,000 almost immediately from the collective, followed by monthly payouts escalating all the way to $2 million a year once he begins his college career in exchange for making public appearances and taking part in social media promotions and other NIL activities, quote, on behalf of the collective or a third party. So again, we have gone from the expectation that you know maybe this would be a one-time kind of payments, the, the idea that you would have an opportunity to come show up on campus and get linked up with the collective, get deals with local businesses, um, this is an $8 million deal where it could escalate to, to him already making millions per year by the time he's already in college. What was our, when you see these numbers, I immediately think it's a quarterback. I immediately think that the market is going to have a response to this. And I am, uh, I'm curious if, if this is where we're headed in terms of the way that these things are going to be structured from a contractual standpoint. So we can't, are we not going to say the name or should we just give hints? Cause I will say, I agree with you, Chip, for that kind of money. I'm going to assume it's a quarterback and I'm going to assume it's a quarterback with a five-star rating who has a lot of crystal ball predictions to Tennessee, who happens to reside in the state of California, where I believe it is legal for kids to be getting this money while they are still in high school. So, you know, if you have a 24-7 sports, if you can find 247sports.com and you want to find out who it is, not that hard to figure All right, out. You know what? I'll take a stab at it. Uh, five-star quarterback, Nico Iamala, Iamaliava. Yeah, There right? you go. Yep. Nico Iamaliava. That's the, that's the best I got. DK, what'd you think? Um, we heard the money for Arch Manning was probably the guesstimate on that is like $10 million, right? Like that's kind of the – he'll be the first $10 million quarterback – I think it's a shock to a lot of people's systems, but I say get used to it. Um, it's just, I think this is, it's the market kind of setting itself. Um, I, and I think it's important to note that it's spread over three years, you know, so it kind of evens out a little bit. I think there's going to be some really interesting dynamics that take place. And you alluded to them, Chip. One, like you're not getting this all in one lump, lump sum payment anymore. Like businesses, collectives, whoever's orchestrating these deals are starting to say, I'm sure they're looking at Quinn Ewers and being like, well, wait a second. That kid just took money and ran. We want to make sure that doesn't happen. So there's incentive not only to stay, um, but you know, not to transfer. I also wonder if there's any protection on these, like based on playing time. Like what if you don't start at all and you're just sitting on the bench? Like I won't transfer. I'll just keep collecting checks. I do think you'll start to see more of these types of deals that'd be multi-year with incentives to stick around the program that brought you in there. Um, and I, I want to say it'll come back down to reality, but I, it just – and then I tell myself, no, these aren't rational, like, thinking minds. These are crazy college football fans that pay $12 million, $17 million for coaches not to coach, and they do it routinely, like, and those those numbers keep going up. So what makes me think that all of a sudden for a quarterback 
And guess what? There's no bidders in those markets. It's just, we got to get rid of this guy. Now you've got multiple bidders. So I think this is just the start of the new frontier. I do wonder the fan reaction. What do fans think of this? But I I think this is the new world that we're living in in college football and people should just get used to it. Yeah, I I think you're, it's interesting. One of the things you talked about that is going to be interesting to me is like kind of what you said, like the guarantees, like if he leaves Tennessee, does that stop? Are there certain parameters of how much he has to play for the money to come in? And it's also like, what kind of leverage are the schools going to have? Because like, if it's compared, just say Tennessee to Alabama, this isn't a knock on Tennessee, but we know where the two are as far as their footing, the SEC and the national landscape right now. Like maybe Alabama could say to a kid, he's like, well, no, it's going to depend on whether you start. You know, we're not just going to give it to you. If you want to come play for Alabama, we will give this to you, but you've got to earn the job. Whereas to see the player might just be like, no, just come here. As long as you come, we'll get you this money. And if you leave, then fine, it stops. But until then, it doesn't matter whether you win the job or not. So it'll be interesting to see the kind of leverage the schools have. And as you mentioned, like they're already kind of learning from what happened with Quinn Ewers going to Ohio State and then transferring out. And it's going to be interesting to see, like, this is where the money is now. Is it going to be the same kind of money in four or five years when we're seeing that these kids maybe are getting, you know, they're not really getting the return for the buck that many of these people are anticipating now that there really are no kind of parameters or like a salary cap of any sort as to what you can give a guy. And people are just throwing the money around like crazy because like it is insane to think that Arch Manning's probably going to get 10 million before he leaves college. And this kid is going to get 8 million before he leaves college. And it's like, is it really worth it? Like, if you're Tennessee, is this kid, is his career really going to be worth $8 million to you without any other players around him? I don't have any answer to that because I don't understand what $8 million looks like compared to, like, we need to see bad investments before we, because right now we're just still in the point where we are only seeing, uh, you know, the athletes that are getting it. And I guess Quinn Ewers might fall into the, that category, or at least he's the first high-profile one that we can mention. I'll give you some. Okay. How about DJ Uyungle and Spencer Rattler? Like, I mm-hmm. would say those are bad investments because the play didn't translate. Like, these are very – and we see it, like, again, it is very similar to the NFL and the draft, and we see busts that are paid all the time, you know, first-round picks that are paid $20, 25000000 and they're out of the league in a few years. Um, so I think it'll be the same. They'll be – it's – the market will figure it itself out, and some team will have a – We'll find a Johnny Manziel type player, and then that's what everybody's going to look for. Because look at what Johnny Manziel did to AM. Look at what Joe Burrow did for uh, um, LSU. Like, it is the one position where you can envision, man, that's all we're missing is a game changing quarterback. And yet, I don't know if that's all these programs are missing. Like, I don't know whoever came in right away in one year could win Tennessee a national championship. Could they help them, you know, get 10 and two? Or could they be like an old Miss in the East and you know have a, a a really successful season? Yeah, but and then that then that maybe propels them into that conversation where one year and they're kind of in that mix. Maybe that gets them to the next level and then they can support that quarterback that they paid all that money to. I mean, remember in the article that David Ubbin wrote, they said the collective said we need a war chest of twenty five million. So you do them, and that was over multiple years. Mm-hmm. Start doing the math. You're like, all right, that's not only eight million for a quarterback. That's Spread out the rest, you know, uh, and that goes to an entire roster. So it's just, it's fascinating to me, these numbers that are getting thrown around. How much involvement would you want between the NIL collective and your university or your coaching staff? Do you think you would rather let the boosters run wild and just sort of be writing up these contracts or 
would you try to maintain some sort of say? I mean, even if only for the opportunity to understand what's going on, you know, with these players and what's going on with them and the third party, the collective, how those numbers and how those contracts stack up against each other, what that's going to do to your recruiting efforts as you're trying to maybe get somebody else at a similar position. I just, it seems like you could buy more players with less oversight, but then you could also find yourself in a whole heap of trouble in terms of, you know, roster management, roster management, the people (laughs) side of this. I mean, look at like, look at the role that Barton has with Vanderbilt, where he's the quote unquote general manager. I think you could see programs in the very near future have like, you know, we have recruiting coordinators, we have all that stuff, but I think you're probably going to see positions created in the near future that are kind of like, in charge of the NIL stuff, trying to figure out who's getting what and kind of budgeting it. Because first of all, if you're like the head coach, this is, you you really don't want this on your plate. Like you've got enough to deal with. That's not to say that you don't want to have like a say in what's going on and being aware of what's going on, but you also don't want to be the one person in charge. So there's got to be some kind of happy medium between the coaching staff being fully aware of what's happening, but also just having people who are tasked with figuring this out and figuring out who's getting what and how much, because I don't think you want to just let boosters go wild west, because that's going to lead to a whole bunch of problems that just show up on your plate where it's all of a sudden it's like, how can you not play me? I'm getting this much money. I'm getting twice as much money as this guy. Why? Why is he starting over me? And then the coach is like, "What the hell are you talking about? I had nothing to do with that." Oh my gosh! If NIL payments are tied to playing time, and now all of a sudden, coaches' yeah. decisions and game planning get in the middle of that—that that sounds awful. Or what about the pressure that comes from? Let's say I don't even know. So this kid will be on campus next year, or no? He's a 23, so he's not there. Yeah. Well, let's say let's say somebody else. Let's say Hendon Hooker doesn't leave. He comes back. And he's playing, and he's playing okay. Like, and this kid's on campus, and the collective is like, "Oh, that's our, that's our guy. We want him playing now." So they could be pressuring coaching staffs to start playing the player. You know, like it just becomes a really, really weird dynamic that we're throwing into an already pretty volatile sport. You know, as far as fan interaction and the craziness and passion, where there's going to be a lot of more influences, and I think. The position that Barton has, and he was one of the first, you're seeing a lot more of those crop up. But what's interesting is remember, remember, this is not supposed to be about recruiting. This isn't supposed to be for pay for play, remember? So how do they do that? And does your general manager, because every room, you know, every every school has a board up and where their roster is, and it's a two or three man depth chart. And it's all right. We, you know, these are the positions we need. This is the expended. You know, these are the guys. Eh, we don't know if we love them. We could replace this guy. So, how do you go to your from your general manager to your collective or business or wherever it is? I've got your answer. Uh, what is it? Um, it's former athletic department employees are playing this role. So the way that Georgia has got it set up is the CEO of the collective is somebody who just until last year worked in the Georgia athletic department. And the director of operations is a former walk-on football player. You li- it's, it's that thing where people leave a bank and then they like go to the lobby or they leave the government and then they go to the lobbying firm and it's because they've worked <laughs> on both sides of it. Yeah. And so what you're doing is you get former players who don't go to the NFL and former athletic department employees, when they step out of those university roles as administrator and player, they can then go and join the collective where they help facilitate the conversation between the school and the NIL collective to be able to make all that work. Here's another scenario too to consider. Like, 
Let's say that what was we were talking about, the kid gets an NIL deal. He's getting like a 500 grand a year, million a year, whatever he wants it to be. But it's contingent on him being on the team and him getting a certain amount of playing time. But this is a kid who now he's a junior and he hasn't really lived up to the hype of when you signed him out of high school. And now, Dave, like you said, all these teams have their boards of what they have. And there's guys on there that maybe, you know, like we see every year, every program, like some kids get told, hey, you know, hit the bricks. Maybe not so, but it's just like you're better off leaving because you're not going to be playing here. But now let's say a coach is sitting here with a decision where there's this high schooler he likes that he thinks is going to be better for the team overall than this third stringer at this one position. But that third stringer is also getting 500 grand just to be on the roster. So now the coach has to figure out, geez, do I want to cut this kid, basically take away his scholarship and 500 grand for him for this kid? Because now you've got that kind of an ethical thing where it's like, that's it's just those kind of decisions are going to be on the plates here soon. And it's like, I'm happy. I don't have to make. Someone's going to step in. And I don't like, I don't think that it needs to happen. I don't think that I'm not, you know, torn up by this myself, but it's nuts, right? I mean, there's got to be some adjustment to the world where we're at before. Um, I don't know. There needs, I mean, there, there needs to be some kind of guideline. But, but there's no there's one wants to do it. To, yeah, I know. So everyone's just, like looking around, like, yeah, we need guidelines, and no one's stepping up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll because, do it. Yeah. Just yeah, give me, give me a month. It. I'll come up with some. No, but I'm just going to come up with the rules, and then everybody has to follow them, whatever I decide. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure they're all just fall lockstep and just yeah. follow them. What was the what was the dirty secret that Bud gave away last week? Everything just comes down to whether or not uh, players are compensated. Like we allow the wild wild west because we also don't want to have this other conversation, or we're not yet ready to have this other conversation. So the way that we're able to keep the ball rolling on player empowerment is we're going to empower them to milk boosters for millions and millions of dollars with uh, very little no oversight or regulation. Mm-hmm. Incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, oh. Real quickly, so uh, we've been highlighting some programs across C- across the country at cbsports.com as spring practice is opening up, uh, particularly ones that had either turnover at the head coaching position or significant turnover of their coaching staffs. Two teams in the SEC that are starting spring practice here very shortly, the Auburn Tigers and the Florida Gators wanted to – we're not doing like the a full – you know, school by school, spring practice, deep by deep dive at the beginning. We're going to wait for some of the spring action to give us lessons learned. Um, but where we sit right now uh, at Auburn and Florida, what are some of the storylines or headlines that have got your attention? Me, Auburn, I just want to see who the hell's on the team. <laughs> like there's been so much turnover there when the coaching staff and on the roster. It's like, I feel like if I'm an Auburn fan heading into the spring, my biggest goal is refreshing myself or getting familiar with what my roster is and who my coaching staff is and just figuring out who I'm supposed to care about, let alone who's fighting for what position. This to me is all about quarterback battle. And it's all about like what players are there because it was a fractured group. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of players probably thought Brian Harson was gone, so they started to pop off a little bit. <laughs> they're like, oh, he's back. And then are they bought in? Are they going to just all of a sudden turn on a dime? And, you know, it's hard to tell from spring practice whether he's got the locker room. But even more to your point, Tom, I'd say like when spring practice is done, do we see another exodus? Do we see players buy in? Do we see positive reviews? Um, and then the quarterback, like the Calzada, Finley, um, 
you know, battle that's going to take place. Robbie Ashford from Oregon. Like, what what is the quarterback position going to look like um, for that one? I think Auburn's probably one of the more intriguing ones just because of so many. I mean, you had the the complete disaster that was a couple mm-hmm. months ago. And then it was a team that was under 500 as well as that. Like, so you know Brian Harson's on the hot seat. Then you have, you know, coordinators leaving or fired. Like, there's a lot going on there. So I just wonder, like, can you get that quick turnaround? Because very clearly, you know, I think eight wins might save his job. <laughs> like, it's not even a guarantee because, you know, there's a faction that wants him out. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about a lot of things that are going to play out at Auburn. Anthony Richardson versus Emory Jones. If you're a Florida fan, how excited are you about that quarterback battle? And and because it's Billy Napier, first-year head coach, my expectation is we're not going to leave spring with an announcement of a starter. No. But as a Florida fan, would you be encouraged at what the final result could be come week one? I, th- I think the most interesting aspect of the Florida QB battles. Obviously, I think most Florida fans, if you were to poll them, are going to be hoping that Anthony Richardson kind of just takes the you know horse by the reins and takes that job because, you know, Emory Jones, we saw last year, there's limitations. But if you look at what Billy Nippier's Cajun teams did, like Levi Lewis was not what you would call a prolific passer. He was a capable passer whose greatest strength was probably his legs and that kind of offense that they were in. Emory Jones could play in that kind of offense. But even so, you still think of Anthony Richardson. He's He can run too, and he's kind of the similar situation, and you probably feel like he's got a higher ceiling. So it's going to be interesting to follow that during the spring. But like you said, new coaching staff in place, this is going to be more about trying to figure out what they have to work with than determining who's going to be starting where. Because, like, you know, you take over a team like this, yeah, you bring in some transfers from your old school that you're familiar with. But for the most part, you're only real feeling of any of these players are what you've watched on tape. You haven't seen any of them live. You don't really know what they're like and what they're capable of, especially in your systems and the way you want to play. So I think for more than anything for Florida this spring, that's what it's going to be about for the coaching staff, just seeing who can do what and trying to figure out whether they want that or not. Uh, Chip, I thought it was interesting you didn't mention Jack Miller Miller. in that. Yeah. Because that's the one I look at, like, could this be another, like, I don't want to get Florida fans all excited. Here we go. It's the next Joe Burrow. Here he comes. But from what we've seen from Emory Jones, like, adequate, can run the offense, but he doesn't get you too excited. Anthony Richardson, all the potential in the world. We've seen flashes, but we also saw some really, you know, against Georgia. I mean, good luck to anybody playing as a true freshman against Georgia. Like, but he looked bad, and then he's been hurt. Like, I would say this is as why I don't think anybody has a leg up, probably Emory Jones, just because the experience factor, but he was also a player that was in the transfer portal. Like, so if spring doesn't go his way and he's looking around like, man, I'm, I am not, I'm looking at Jack Miller throw and I might not be the starter or Anthony Richardson finally figures it out. I mean, I think there's a chance Emory Jones, if he doesn't win the job, might after spring say, let yeah. me look around and serve him out options. So I don't know. Out of what we've seen already from the two Florida quarterbacks, I would say was it was Jack Miller a four or five star? Because I remember the stat that was high going around. Four, I believe. High four. He was the only one. Because remember, it was Quinn Ewers was five, five. CJ was five. was five. Yep. And I thought I thought there was one, but either case, like he's got a pretty McCord, good background. I think was high four. I think McCord was like a high four and a low five, depending on where you were looking. But, I mean, in any case, he can play. He was in that mm-hmm. competition. Like, I remember last spring watching him play, being like, oh, who's this guy? You know, and he didn't win the job, and there's no no slouching in that. 
So I think he could have something to say about this. But I think I and we previewed this on the one. I think Florida could be in for a pretty significant turnaround when they get a coach who's gonna kind of tighten things up a little bit, motivational wise, get players to buy in. I mean, Florida's I know I know we've criticized our everyone has criticized Dan Mullen's lack of recruiting prowess, but it's not like they were 25th in the country. They were in the top 10, but it just wasn't good enough because it wasn't Georgia, which was, you know, one or two. So it's not like the roster is bare. Uh, and if he figures out that position, I think I think it could be really interesting. And he's already done a pretty good job uh, getting some of the guys to come in there. So yeah. I, I'm excited. I think I think this could be a big year for Florida, like a, a turnaround year where they're excited going into year two. And I do think like, well, we Florida's not going to name a starter after spring, but I do think the most likely outcome, Danny, is you're right. Emory Jones will be in the transfer portal after spring practice ends. Because if you are Emory Jones, like unless you have the greatest spring practice ever and your coaches are telling you, oh, man, no, you're our guy. Like heading into the summer, you're number one. Like, can you really afford to sit around and wait until summer and fall to see how things shake out when you're trying to find a you know a spot somewhere else if you want to play in 2023? So I think that that is the most likely outcome where nobody really emerges and then Emory Jones is probably like, well, I could either fight with these two guys for the next few months or I could see if there's somewhere out there where I could just kind of slide in and take over. And don't forget, too, what was Dan Mullen's reputation before last year? quarterback guru like mm-hmm. he kind of figured it out for everybody so i i'm not a damn mullen apologist but maybe it was the first time he kind of had guys that weren't great you know and couldn't do it um so that's why that's why i just think I, I have a feeling that jack miller might be the guy and that's nothing i have I'll, we'll have to watch the spring and see what happens but i think this thing is as wide open a competition as you'll get no 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 we're running with what happened the last time <laughs> an ohio state quarterback showed up in the sec Yep. Well, it's not great then if you're a Florida fan because that means one year you're going to be like average and you're going to want him bench probably. No, Joe Burrow's <laughs> first year they were good. They beat number two Georgia. But he was home. okay. He wasn't he, great. He was, he was okay. He was like very average Joe. Yeah. And then he just blew up. So yeah. we'll see. Coming up on the other side, dipping into the big old bag of mail with a, a question about a team that we left off our best team not to win a title and some look at the big 10 West in 2022 next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of new balance clutch athletics and rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community with rising defensive football stars, Will Anderson and chase young on the roster. Clutch athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase clutch athletics at newbalance.com. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Of course, if you would like to join in on the conversation, which is ongoing throughout the season, uh, here's here's what you can do. You can go us leave, leave us a five star review, and in that review, put a question. We will add it to the big old bag of mail, and we are tackling them all throughout the off season. Today's question comes from Jake. 
Dear Cover 3 Pod, Winning Time on HBO details the story of the 80s Showtime Lakers. My question is, what show should Paramount Plus make about a college football team or era? I would throw out some suggestions, but I don't want to steal any ideas. Love the pod. Can I just say something real fast? Burt Reynolds Hall? N- no, I, I was. let me just pitch that, but I want to tell you who I don't want to see is the Hurricanes. Like, we've, we've got them so covered. Yeah. We've got them covered thanks to Billy Corbin, thanks to 30 for 30. We've seen every version of the Hurricanes, from the 80s version, 2000s version, to the broke version. We don't need any more Hurricanes films. So that being said, I'll let you guys throw out the throw out the, the, the options. No, I was still remembering you on the podcast flashing back to Burt Reynolds Hall realizing that Florida State was going to get another shot. And I was thinking about that team and you would, my hook would be that it was also right around as we're making the, the transition from independence into the ACC. It's the beginning of running the ACC, the incredible streak uh, of the, the games that were won, the championships that were won, and just sort of following that Florida State program, uh, making that move uh, into what it would become throughout the uh, the rest of the 90s. I would pitch it. I would do it for sure. I had some other ones on there that I... I mean, the SMU Pony Express, and that kind of reminds me... I don't know if you guys have watched uh, The Winning Time. It's pretty good. It's really uniquely shot. But the fact that it's in the late 70s, early 80s kind of had me thinking of that era, and you could do a similar style. Um, by the way, I hate... And I'm trying, I'm overcoming it when the characters talk to the camera. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Jerry Buss is like, he's acting and he's playing Jerry Buss. And then he looks at the camera. He's like, I'm about to buy the Lakers. Like, I just don't like that, but I'm getting used to it because that's it's, a Danny thing. That's, it's too hot. That's like a trendy, uh, yes, especially when is. we do these like dramatized uh, versions of these old stories. It's a, it's you know, like, it's, it's the office's fault. It is. No, That's exactly no, what it, no, no. they eat. No, I think it is though. Cause it's they, even do, yeah. they even do like the gym. Look at the camera where he's mm-hmm. like, like somebody will look up, not say anything. And they're just like, we know the cameras there. Like it's the mockumentary deal. I, I still like it. I still recommend it. Not as much as 1883 on Paramount plus, but <laughs> it is, it is pretty good. Didn't Scorsese do it with Wolf of Wall Street? Goodfellas has the narration. Like it's yeah, but narration is different than looking at the camera. Because like The Office started like when you go look at television, how many shows were there like sitcom shows which were in that documentary kind of style before The Office? None. How many were after? Damn near every single one. But like, even you had Parks uh, and Rec, is, you had Modern Family. They all did the same thing. But it is different. It's not the documentary where they sit mm-hmm. out in the testimonial. Yes. They break character and talk to the camera, which I don't like. I, that's like the biggest pet peeve. It's I like think the, it's like the Big Short. Remember, Margot Robbie was just sitting in the tub yep. and she explains all the stuff and she looks at the camera. It's kind of like that. Yeah, just but I think I think it's peeve. an artistic. Isn't thing that also where it's Adam like, McKay? It was. Yeah, this yeah. is his baby. This yeah. is Adam McKay too. Yeah, yeah, I think it's an artistic thing where it's like. You know, the Lakers, L.A., Showtime, everything is the television show, even when it was happening. They do it in plays. You break the fourth yes. wall on th- yeah. in theater, like yep. often, and crack a joke to the audience, then return to everything that's happening. Um, oh, we need to mention suggestions. <laughs> this isn't television analysis podcast. Come to the Cover 3 podcast for all of your uh, media TV studies. Tom, who, who, would you, uh, who would you put together a pitch for for Paramount to do? 
I would love to see a show on the Barry Switzer Sooners, just that entire era, because I think that regardless of the results on the field, I just think that with everything that was happening in that program, the off the field stuff, that would be kind of like in the same vein as Miami, but different and not as well known nationally as far as the characters and all that stuff on the team. Same vein. I wouldn't mind seeing something on the SMU death penalty team. Yeah, oh, the that, one that wasn't on TV? Yeah, <laughs> that that could be fun. So it's just, there, there's a lot. I mean, I there's nothing really kind of stands out. Is there, I, I would be interested in a whole lot, but Oklahoma and Barry Switzer's teams were the ones that really kind of were just like, no, I would love to see that. And still, like, a lot of people in the chat are putting the, the Florida Gators with Urban Meyer and Tebow, and that would be epic because if you had, like, behind-the-scenes look at when they trotted out Tebow out there to cover up all the other problems, like, mm-hmm. hey, Tim, go give us a speech. You know, do something to cover up this uh, the arrest that we've got going on. But we already know a lot about that one. Like, I think that's where I think if you went back to the 80s where cameras weren't everywhere, but you got the mm-hmm. inside look and you got – that's why I think like the 80s, you know, late 70s, 80s, that's probably the sweet spot for one of these for college football, I think. You know, I'd be curious. Well, see, like Bobby Bowden and Tom Osborne, I don't know how exciting. I mean, Bobby was a great quote, but uh, we, we'd have plenty of entertainment. I guess I should take that. Back. Plus, also, you're <laughs> you're thinking about the the style of, you know, what's been going on in that late 70s, early 80s. I listen, hey, We're at a point here in 2022 that – Early 90s style. It's retro, baby. Yeah. It, would, it would blow some minds to be able to uh, to see what all the players were wearing uh, around and sort of the, the general outlook and what it, what it meant to uh, to hang out. For ours, you just have to go watch the program. Like, Florida State's already been done. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I think, too, like, for that era, like the 80s and 70s, before everything kind of became the nationalized television product, like, we do that thing that we do with everything where we kind of look back and get nostalgic and think of times being more pure back then. Like, oh, back then it was different. We were just about the love of the game and blah, blah, blah. I think if you kind of did a deep dive on that stuff, you'd be like, oh, you know what? The only thing that's changed is the overall amount of money. Pretty much everything else is exactly the same as it's always been. Mm, Very good point. Uh, All right. This next question comes from Coach Groot. Hi, guys. Huge fan of the podcast. I started listening back in September. I've listened to almost every episode since. I'm a huge Gophers and Demon Deacons fan. Yes, I know that's a weird combo. This year has been good to me in terms of my teams. My question to y'all is about my Gophers. As a team that battled so many injuries last year at running back and still managed to have a chance at a Big Ten West title, do you think that my Gophers are a dark horse in the West this year? We got back Tanner Morgan. Hopefully he can take the next step. And Mo Ibrahim. We lose some at offensive line to the draft and then on the defensive side too. But what chances do you give us at making a run at a Big Ten championship? Thanks, guys. I hope this makes it in. Row the boat, baby. I suppose I should be the one to answer this. Um, Is the answer no because they play in the same division as Illinois? Yeah, no, that's definitely. No, I I think, you know, Minnesota is a team that last year kind of flew under the radar a little bit in the West. They did finish in second place in the division. You know, they, they had the same record as Wisconsin. And it's just, I think that what happened in 2020 where they had to deal with all those injuries and the COVID stuff, like coming off of the, the big season where they beat Auburn in the bowl game, won 11 games, and then they just kind of fell off the face of the earth for a year. People just kind of wrote them off as kind of a one-hit wonder, and I don't think they are. I think P.J. Fleck has done a very nice job of recruiting there and really raising the talent floor. But at the same time, I 
don't know if I consider Minnesota our dark horse because, you know, it won 11 games two years ago. It finished in second place in the division. So it's like I, I look at Minnesota just as a contender in the Big Ten West in a division in which there isn't a clear-cut favorite. So there really can't be a dark horse. And I feel like when it comes to, like, the preseason and everybody's asked to put in their predicted order of finish for the Big Ten West, Wisconsin's going to finish first in all the polls just because that's what everybody's used to. But I don't think anybody's going to have a real high degree of confidence over any of those teams. Like Wisconsin could win it. Iowa can win it. Minnesota could win it. Purdue, Nebraska, Illinois. Hell, I think everybody really, not Illinois and Northwestern, are probably the only two teams where I don't really feel like have a more than 10% chance of winning the division. I don't like to do, like we talked a lot about Nebraska's, you know, the best three and three win team. Look at Minnesota, like if they, because they lost to Bowling Green. I think that's when everybody looked at Mm -hmm. them was like, oh, and that dropped them to two and two, but they played Ohio State tough. Mm -hmm. They lost Ibrahim in that game. Remember that? And they played them, they were playing them pretty tough. And then they kind of bounced back. And, but if they could figure out a way to like beat Illinois where they lost to, congrats to Tom. Thank you. you. Then all of a sudden the season doesn't look as bad. You know, I, I, I don't think they're a crazy dark horse pick at all if you wanted to pick them. I think some people will look at them and say, man, look at the schedule. Sets up pretty nice. Like, in, it's almost – it's just wide open in this division. So, I I think it's – and you got – he's made some good points. You got Tanner Morgan back who's pretty good. Now, if he needs another receiver that's a game breaker like he had two years ago. He had two and, of them. He had Rashad yeah. Bateman and Tyler Johnson. Yeah. And, yeah. like – I am also doing that thing where the return of Kirk Sharaka, I'm like, all right, maybe he will be able to unlock the best of Tanner Morgan like he was in 2019. But then I'm also trying to temper those expectations. Again, going back to you had two NFL wide receivers out there. Yeah, and, and while they look different doing it because they don't have the big giant kind of corn fed beefy linemen and they're not doing, you know, two tight end sets and, you know, a fullback. This is still very much a run first team in the same vein as what you see be successful in the Big Ten West. Hell, Minnesota ran the ball more often than just about every single team in the country except for the the service academies last year. They're very much a run first kind of ground and pound you offense. Like, you know, Daniel Falele is going to be in the NFL next year, but that's a guy who was 6'8 and 380 pounds. They have a big and strong offensive line, and they try to maul teams and wear you down as the game goes along. It's just they have more like kind of pistol and shotgun sets and RPO stuff that makes them look a little different, but they're pretty much doing the same stuff that Wisconsin and Iowa do, just not as much power. All right, one last question. Here we go. Oh, man, we got some anger. Five stars. You can be angry at us. We welcome the passion just make sure it's anger within five stars. You know, that's that's the deal that we have. I read your question, we bring it up and we discuss it in exchange for five stars. It's yeah, can simple. we just clarify something too? Because I noticed this. I usually don't typically read the reviews, but I, for some reason, a couple weeks ago, I was perusing them. There was somebody that sounded like he really liked the pod because he's like, great pod, but I can't believe you took this opinion. And then he gave it, it a one a star. star. Yeah, I'm like, just because you disagree with the opinion, you can still like the show. You can trash the opinions. Just don't give it a one star. Give it a five star and then trash it. And we'll right. we'll read it on here. Just don't right. don't give it that one star. Exactly. And that, that is very much in the same vein. So thank you, username number one podcast reviewer. <laughs> Clearly, we there's a reason why he's there's the number one job. podcast reviewer. He's he's got it down pat. All right, here we go. How are you all going to have 2019 Ohio State on your best teams not to win a natty list over 2019 Clemson? A Clemson team that had won 29 straight games, blew everyone out in the regular season, and then beat 
this Ohio State team, their only loss coming to a team that you all agree might be the best team ever. Clemson also was also playing that playoff with an injured Justin Ross and T. Higgins. So I all caps demand that you all explain yourself for picking Ohio State over Clemson. Hashtag R.I.P. Barton. I'll take this one because Ohio State got screwed in that game, if we're being honest. But that's not the entire reason. But the reason is like, yeah, you're right. Clemson did house everybody that season because Clemson didn't play anybody. Like, here's their schedule from 2019. They played two ranked teams. One was number 12, Texas A&M, early in the season. The same Texas A&M team that I think finished, what was the record here? Uh, Eight and five. And then they didn't play another ranked team again until they got to the ACC championship game, which was uh, number 22 ranked Virginia, who they housed 62 to 17. Then they got by Ohio State in a great game, but in a game I think Ohio State was probably the better team in for most of it. And then they got housed in the title game by LSU. So when I was doing my top 10 list and trying to come up with the best teams not to win the national title, Ohio State was like the second best team in the country that year behind LSU. And I wasn't going to take two teams from the same season when I felt like Clemson was probably at best the fourth best team in that season. So I wasn't going to call them one of the 10 greatest teams to never win a national title. I think Bud, one of his criteria, wasn't it? You can't like have an ugly loss. Mm-hmm. And I know it was to LSU, who was you know one of the better teams we've seen of all time, but it was an ugly loss. Like the game wasn't very competitive. So that one for me alone was probably why it wasn't in there. And another way too to look at it too, like Clemson that year, they were an offense that in conference play, they're scoring like 49, 50 something points every single week. Texas A&M, a team that finished eight and five, they only scored 24. Against Ohio State, they only scored 29. Against LSU, they only scored 25. How good would that team have been had they played a different schedule than that? The ACC during that 2019 season had um, metrics and and ratings that put them closer to the American Athletic Conference than it did to the Big Ten. And like debate on whether you want to put the ACC or the Pac-12 as fifth. But I, I think that, to Danny's point, probably my strongest thought is if it was more of a classic and man, this is going to be really like Clemson Homer of me right here. <laughs> that game was competitive. It just got uncompetitive very quickly. Like mm-hmm. there was, was it midway through third quarter? Like there was a, just a little bit of a, there was a score. And then it was just very clear that, um, that Clemson was not going to be able to get the stops. And we came out of the game uh, discussing, you know, whether or not this this Clemson defense, which goes through and crushes opponents, like not just how many points they're scoring, Tom, but the way that they were able to limit the opposing offenses all throughout that schedule. You know, Texas A and M uh, probably much closer to an ACC team than it was to 2019 LSU, and so. You know, it, it wasn't just that the offense was scoring more, but I think the defense had so much more of an overwhelming advantage, both in terms of you know size, athleticism, te- just sheer talent. And then you go up against you know the you go up against Jamar Chase, you know you go up against Justin Jefferson, and then you, your defense is going to get picked apart a little bit more. Yeah, Clemson jumped out to a seventeen to seven lead in the title game, and then it was twenty eight, and then it was twenty eight to seventeen at halftime. Three quick touchdowns by LSU in the final 10 minutes of the half kind of put put that to bed. Bang, bang, bang kind of stuff. But I mean, of the of the Clemson teams, the 2019 Clemson team 
should not get extra praise because it also included so many pieces of the 2018 national champions. That's why the 2018 national champions got mentioned and the 2019 runner up. Oh, why the 2018 national champions um, have been celebrated. Yeah. Obviously did not get mentioned for our best to not win a title. It's like 2019 was very much carrying 2019 Clemson was carrying a lot of the previous season's glory, like 2014 Florida state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was just, it wasn't really the uh, the exact same thing. Any any other thoughts on the Tigers? Clemson stinks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, we will be keeping our eyes on the Tigers, of course, uh, as we uh, as we see. You know, one of the biggest storylines in the ACC will be how they bounce back after failing to win the Atlantic Coast Conference for the first time in seven years. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back Wednesday, 1030 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure that you tune in live, youtube.com slash cover three. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.